Welcome back to Range Anxiety. It's your midweek special, and I'm not well this week. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, coming at you with COVID for about the sixth time in uh, 18 months now, or 12 months, or however long I've been running this wonderful uh, podcast Epicast series. No, it's not COVID, but oh, just things uh, getting along. And listen to this car on gravel. I love gravel roads and all-wheel drive cars. You hear that? Yeah, but you know, it's, oh, it's been a long winter, a winter of discontent, and uh, I'm trying not to be too much of a whinger today, even though I feel like absolute shit. So, of course, today it's me solo. We don't have any hi Bob, hi world, Paul's not with us today. So, yeah, we are coming up. We, he will probably be doing an epicast with me this weekend. So, you know, we, have, we haven't, oh, yes, I know the key's not detected, Tesla. That's all right. You'll get along without a key. Yeah, so we will be doing an epicast this weekend, and I'm gonna. I've decided I'm gonna ambush him. Um, speaking of which, uh, intro track. What I like about you by the Romantics. Rock and old track that you know. Ah, yeah. What I like about you, and of course, uh, we'll get onto the pole ambush later. But oh, I've got to do a bit of a. I've got to do a bit of a thing here. We got to test out the Model 3's handling limits. A bit of side. Oh no, I'm only doing the speed limit, and no. Didn't collect anyone, just just a, just a high-speed merge at the speed limit. Um, what I like about you, so everyone knows, you know, you look at the the name of this series, these epic cars, Range Anxiety, everyone knows that I'm a full EV bonehead, you know, and I am because, you know, I can drive along and, and do this relatively quietly and you know, I don't have to worry about things falling off or breaking or, you know, shit just generally not working as happens in a lot of cars. Normal uh, internal combustion cars. But of course, you know, I, I get to see not only the very, very best of cars, I get to see uh, the very, very worst of them as well. So, you, you, you know, you'd be accurate to say that I'm just a little bit biased about everything. You know, I get fed up. Listen to that. Now, there is, hear that in front of me? That there is a normally aspirated XR6 4-litre Falcon motor that's getting ready for a China turbo and a boost conversion, more than likely. You see, and that's what I don't like about cars. I suppose it's once they pass that threshold that we covered in the Great Seal, um, where they get sort of too modified or rebuilt, and then they just become absolute shit boxes that you just don't want to know about anymore. Uh, surely the same thing will probably happen with my beloved Teslas one day. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're just a shitbox to start with and they'll never be that modified. Who knows? But back to what I like about you. There are some things I do like about cars and have liked about cars in the past and will hopefully um, be able to hold on to once the ice age internal combustion age is is finally come to an end and it's just it's spiraling out of control now like i said i'm an ev fanboy but even i'm getting sick of the daily releases of all of these new electric cars i mean most of them are rubbish some of them are really good um i think that about normal internal combustion cars too you know you get some good releases and some shitty releases but you know i'm just sick of just the whole media only reporting about this crap now surely there has to be you know, uh, sort of like a tempering of, of of sanity with reality. And, you know, the biggest offenders, in my opinion, are, are the 
VW Auto Group and Mercedes. I mean, Tesla are never going to build anything that's not an electric car, right? It's what they do. Um, but those two German, the, the big European companies and all of the different brands under their, their umbrella have just gone stir-crazy with this whole EV thing. Like Mercedes announced the day that, and that's a truck, that's a diesel, that's a dinosaur. And they won't be around much longer, thankfully. Um, Mercedes announced today that they're going to can all their plug-in hybrids, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, and just go solely battery only, but BEV they call it, rather than PHEV, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, battery electric vehicle. They're going to go full battery by 2030. I mean, they've actually realised, they must have been listening to these Epicasts, that plug-in hybrids, you know, are pretty much a waste of time. I mean, they work, but as I've always said, they're the worst of both worlds. You get a small, shitty internal combustion engine, you get a small, shitty electric engine, and you get, as a rule, a small, shitty battery. So you're just sort of, you know, juggling the bad with the bad the whole time. So they're out by 2030. Um, VW Auto Group, they will be, and all of their brands will be full battery electric by 2030. There won't be a piston-powered car left, I would think, that you could buy and you can write this down on a little piece of paper and put it in your range anxiety, um, you know, time capsule. There won't be a uh, internal combustion car that you can buy brand new in 2030. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, for a start, I don't want every peck of wood drive an electric car. I mean, I see way too many Teslas now for my own sort of liking. You know, I like that have a little bit of exclusivity and you know there aren't that many model 3 performances around there are a lot of model 3s around now my goodness since shanghai's come on there they're everywhere in australia um but you know i don't want everyone having one and then you you know it just sort of takes away the exclusivity it's like you know everyone having a hsv or everyone having whatever else you had and yeah so you know maybe it'll be time then for me to try and make a piston powered comeback you never know this is why i like the concept of the rotary engine range extender in some EVs. I reckon that's super duper cool because it's quirky and it's odd and it's something that not everybody has and, and probably not everybody will want. On that front, there was a big uh, motor show uh, show went on in, I think it was Hamburg in Germany last week and you can actually get a motorhome there now that has a Wankel rotary engine in it as not only a range extender to charge a battery when you're driving if it, if it needs to kick in and out. So I think this motorhome only had a piddly little battery like a you know 30 or 40 kilowatt which is not much for a, for a, for a big sort of motorhome. But then when you pull up at a campsite you can actually all, also power all the rest of your stuff. You know the rotary never drives the car as such. It's a range extender battery charger and can also power your whole campsite when you're there. I thought that was you know pretty cool i forget the name of the company that did it but you know i think that and there i go saying you know a thousand more times i think that the the rotary engine really lends itself to those sort of compact i wouldn't really say high efficiency because that's always been a bit of an issue with them but compact um applications especially in steady state they might not suffer or near on steady state without having to drive or power the car via a transmission they may not suffer um, as much sort of general inefficiency as they did in the road cars, which finally, you know, where they were primary power unit, they just became too inefficient to to make and meet meet emissions rules and 
do all the things that cars need to do correctly. That's cool, but we don't want to lose internal combustion altogether. Forget about this fake fuel bullshit. It's rubbish, right? Absolute rubbish. Um, it's energy negative, or, you know, it's just Porsche putting it out there as, I don't know, some way of keeping themselves relevant, even though they build some of the best electric cars around. They had to talk about the GT3 running on fake fuel, and we've, we've spoken about that before. Forget about hydrogen. Everyone who's anyone has pulled the pin on hydrogen. It's an absolute waste of time. And as um, Big Daddy Musk calls them, they're not fuel cells that they run on hydrogen, they're full cells. You know, it's, it is it is stupefying how governments can be so easily parted from their money that they want to get behind something that's just, just like hopeless. Even when explained to a layman, you can explain why hydrogen powering vehicles is hopeless via, via full cells. And with some very basic physics, you can explain why hydrogen actually powering internal combustion engines directly, you can see normally a hydrogen car uh, uses hydrogen uh, uses hydrogen to go into the fuel cell, which does the chemistry that converts it to electricity to power a pissy EV motor. And you know they're slow and they're expensive and they're heavy and everything else. But there's there's been a lot of mucking around with hydrogen actually um, running internal combustion engines, uh, which is extremely difficult and extremely expensive to do. Why is that? Because you know with crankcase ventilation and everything else, you're effectively making a bomb on wheels and so yeah I can't see that as ever getting the safety nod so don't even think that that's ever going to happen hydrogen boys and girls in my opinion and not that I know much at all but I can see the logic of why it will never work so hydrogen is dead Zed's dead baby what movie was that out of well hydrogen's dead baby that's out of range anxiety and remember you heard it here first so what am I going to miss? Well, you know, one of the favourite things I've always had about internal combustion cars, and some of my latest ramblings on here have sort of uh, backed that up, is some of the good noises they can make. Now, unusual noises. You know, I want to make noises out of electric motors. Certain members of the listening community think I'm there's something wrong with in my head, and they may well be right. But when I was a kid growing up, one of the most intoxicating noises that you could hear was a side draft uh, Weber, Weber, what do you want to call them, 45 DCOE side draft carburetor, or a pair of them running through a set of like rancid foam style socks, which would normally, once the things got standoff or backfired through the inlet, catch on fire and burn your car to the ground um, if they weren't made out of the right stuff. And that to me, that big throaty induction roar was one of the most amazing things that I can remember. And, and, and even a single 45 or a 40 on an A-series Mini with the transverse you know, engine layout, the old A-series, um, where you had to cut the firewall to get the, like, the, long, was it the long inlet manifold runners in. You had to sit the, you basically had to sit the, the ram tubes or the trumpets on the DCOE back through the back through the back of the speedo you know they were right behind the speedo so when you got some a big standoff thankfully you weren't running air cleaners in though on those you just sort of ran them open you'd actually see the back of the speedometer the speedo glow orange you know on gear shifts as it got a big flame up 
to me, that was really, really cool. And I chased that sound. EFI ruined that. And I chased that sound. I remember um, chasing it with the uh, Honda race car I had, an AT Civic SI that was imported from Japan with the ZC 1600cc twin cam engine in it. I chased it to the point where we got rid of the conventional single throttle body, you know, uh, inlet runner style system with a, with a plenum chamber and put a twin 45 style injection units on it. So, you know, they had an injector in them and they had, you know, they, they, looked, they looked a little fuel rail. They, they looked for all intents and purposes like a 45. Just that these ones, I forget if I've talking about, uh, spoken about this uh, or not in the past. Sorry, I'm sick as a dog, as you could probably tell. But I forget if I've, I've, I've covered this, but yeah, these had nylon. They didn't use a proper ball race in the um, throttle linkages, in the throttle shafts. And they had like a nylon bush in there. So when you got them really, really hot out the racetrack, they could actually jam on full throttle. Yeah, nah, kind of happened to me a bit. And I, I didn't really, really like that too much at all. And of course, yeah, I think we replaced them with bearings in the end or I sold the car. I know it went on to settle that record without me in it after that, so it was probably because it jammed on full throttle and then unjammed itself as it cooled down under brakes. I don't know. But yeah, Mr. Bateman, uh, sorry about that if that happened, but I, I, I think we did actually bore it out and get an engineering shop to fix it with some proper bearings. And of course, a good set of cams in a, in a small capacity four-cylinder or cam, or cams in the case of the Honda, was always a really good thing because everyone knew you know, the cammed V8 exhaust note. That exhaust note's been around for years and everyone knows what a cammed V8, you know, lumping and loping away sounds like. But a, a highly strung small cube four cylinder was a really, really, really cool thing. Um, I'm just about to watch some kids get run over here by someone in a hybrid Camry. Well, that's what happens when you trust people in hybrids. Um, so yeah, I remember the you know, cami four-cylinder with like a 1400 RPM idle because it didn't have the, with super light flywheel, didn't have the crankshaft inertia to run over that, uh, under that. That were fantastic things, you know, big, big cams. Um, and of course, uh, the king of all uh, engine notes was that light switch. And that'll live with me forever, the first time I ever heard it. And it was a, it was a, B16A2, which is a Honda VTEC engine. VTEC, yo! And that was just fantastic. It was the closest thing to a sort of a rotary in terms of revability. We were screaming those things to, you know, 20 years ago to 87, 8800 RPM. Some people were going beyond nine, but we just never had the valve train to do it. They were probably the smarts to do it, you know. <laughs> Let's tell the truth here. It's like 25 years ago, I reckon. Wow. And the B16A2 was just a wonderful engine. And, you know, you'd get to, oh, I forget where the VTEC old point was, but I reckon it's about 5,500 RPM or something like that, or 6,000 RPM. And they'd just switch onto the second cam lobe. You know, they had fingers that would actually lock together via an oil pressure controlled firing pin that was fired off the ECU. And, you know, it would just sound like all hell break loose and give the engine just another wind of, of, of just turbine screaming power up to the red line. That was heady, heady stuff. And, you know, just literally fantastic, I suppose, would be the best, best word to describe it. 
So yeah, all really, really great things and things that defined my career. So of course I went stir crazy after that and just wanted to hear open throttle bodies on pretty much any and everything I tuned. Of course that didn't happen, but you can imagine my joy when we got into the LS1 game as we covered in um, Happy Days, and there was that, that the shop I speak about as being one of the real pioneers of um, LS1 development in Sydney and Padstow. That was um, Sam Baghdadi from Sam's Performance. You know, he was doing shit that we all dreamed about because he had a, a big background in V8s to start with. He, you know, he would build some pretty tough V8s and then he applied everything he learned to the LS. So he was just, you know, he might not have been miles ahead of us in computer technology, but he was, you know, he learned that about five minutes, but he was just miles ahead of us in, again, Dr. Evilfinger's knowing things. You know, he had sharks with laser beams well before that movie had even come out. And he did eight trumpet LSs, and by goodness, we used to all kind of laugh, but secretly I was so, you know, went, I went like hell, um, but secretly I was just so um, sort of intoxicated by it all. You know, it was really, really good stuff, and I loved that stuff. Yeah, so the whole individual throttle body thing sort of ruled my life, and, you know, it comes as a, it comes as a, an affront to some that I deal with and have dealt with for, for that long that now I like, you know, uh, to be the small and silent type with EVs. But I've, I've covered why that is too, because I just like to be different and do different things. It'll never take away my love of hearing, although I never owned one, a Datsun 1600 breathing through a pair of side drafts like the old rally cars. They just sounded absolutely Fantastic, and to my mind, there will never be a better sound. And of course, they're all the smells these things made too. And it's probably not great that I sit here and harp on about them because I'm a bit anti, you know, tailpipe pollution now because it just doesn't need to be that way. But there are the old smell of Avgas in one of those race engines, you know, dirty, stinking, leaded Avgas just had that really killer smell to it. It probably was a killer smell because it was so highly leaded, but. You know, it's a smell I'll never forget. Um, unlet it just doesn't smell the same. And then there was all of the, you know, sweet smells of VP109 and uh, all the C16s and ELF Turbo Maxes and all those fantastic fuels that we all used in the 90s and early 2000s before everyone just got addicted to E85 because it was so cheap. But you like the way I say it was? It's now one of the most expensive fuels you can uh, lay your hands on. So yeah, they were they were really, really good things. And cars look different, you know, then too. And cars all look the same to me. Now, maybe again, it's because I'm getting old. It's only EVs really that look different. And that's mainly because they've all been whooped hard with the ugly stick. Yeah, I mean, most of them are, why do cars have to look so futuristic? Why do cars have to look like they're from Mars unless there's a Cybertruck and they actually are going to Mars? And, you know, the Cybertruck looks that way because of the stuff they're making it out of. You know, it doesn't lend itself to mm, conventional sort of body manufacturing techniques or that cold-rolled SpaceX material. So we'll probably forgive the Cybertruck for its, its good looks because allegedly they are totally functional. But all these other things that have, like, you know, fake 
grills because EVs really don't need grills. In fact, no cars really need grills. It's just a styling thing. But all manufacturers of EVs tend to do away with the grill and just go the lower opening for their, you know, smallish uh, battery and, and, and powertrain cooling systems. Why do they have to put such funny inserts in the nose? Like uh, the Kona Electric. Like, you ever, you ever seen one of them? I mean, you know, Hyundai probably aren't blessed with making or known as making the best looking cars out there. But why do they... You know, why do they have to do that? Why can't they make them look normal? And, you know, Tesla probably don't make the most normal-looking things, but I like to probably describe the look of the Model 3. It looks like Daffy Duck sucking on a lemon, but you, you kind of make a couple of tweaks to them, um, and, you know, they can look sort of California cool. Well, that's what I like to say anyway, probably because I own one of the stupid things. What's news in the flood world? Well, no one's getting near that eight. I think there are some actual engineering constraints there that are stopping them getting near the eight now. I've watched everything that there is to watch on YouTube. I mean, what else am I going to do? It's not as if I'm going to, you know, get one and modify it, is it? We're still looking forever away in Australia, like Tesla aren't even communicating to us delivery dates at the moment. So I'll be an old man and have that angle valve pad well set up with lots of charge points and all sorts of things by the time that happens which will be a good oh good thing you know what i mean but i watched brooks from drag times took his seats out and ran a 9.1 and i think he trapped 154 so it's definitely getting there right it is gonna happen but i think we're gonna run into a brick wall at about 905 i reckon all the stripping of interiors and tyres aren't going to get you much more than a 905. There's something inherent with the torque management. And I think 154, maybe higher 154s to 155 will be the cap. So we're either going to need to put more current into the things or we're going to need to add like a proper amount of lightness. Now I'm talking like 300 kilogram amount of lightness where the thing will only weigh two ton which is still pretty good and then maybe we'll see some times uh, in the eights i mean you know what are we doing complaining about cars only running a nine one with basically nothing done to them that just shows how mental it's all got and why in my opinion these cars are all getting too fast you really don't need much more than the kind of grunt, like mid to low 11 second grunt, than Model 3 Performance has got. You know, because most of that's done in the first part of the track anyway. You don't need to go that fast. Speaking of fast, there's a lot of crying about, you know, amongst the fanboys, and, you know, Sam Cass has been on to me from Melbourne talking about, you know, how slow the plaid was at the Nürburgring at the 7.30, which is about standard GDR time, which I didn't think was too bad for a big four-door sedan, uh, and... The rules there are, it was run directly as it was delivered from the factory. No um, semi-comp style tyres, no aero mods, no nothing. And it ran a 730, which put the Taycan Turbo S well into the bin, as it should. Um, and, yeah, I think it did quite well. But, you know, the reason it didn't run a 715 or a 710 is because Tesla will be selling you a track pack. Mark my words, watch its space. You'll be able to buy lightweight rims, tyres aerodynamic upgrades and a brake upgrade and the thing will run like a 705 to 710 which puts it in you know super duper um serious circuit car category i mean at the moment the disappointing plaid time around there is as fast as a c8 corvette 
which is a hell of a lot slower than a plane in a straight line. But you get what I'm saying? It's horses for courses. And, you know, people saying, ah, oh, one-trick pony, like Sam rang up or messaged me the other day. Well, it's not really a one-trick pony if it's as fast as a GDR, uh, as delivered from the factory. And there is a lot of, you know, the car's stock. Oh, I only use the parts that were in stock that goes on at the Nürburgring. Let me tell you that. So stay tuned for next Epicast where I talk to Paul Halzong.